0: What's going on, family? How are we doing this morning? Good. Thank you so much, Rob, for for sharing your story. And uh, yeah, let's give them a round of applause. You know, it's been eight weeks of telling stories as we've gone through this encounter series, and we're just scratching the surface on all the ways that God is encountering us as a church, as a family, and it is—it is so beautiful to, to hear these stories. And part of this series, part of what we—we we hope out of this series, is not just that we will hear other people's stories, but that God will remind us of the story that He's doing in our life, and He will remind us that that story is a glorious story. Not because you and I are glorious people, because there's nothing about my life that is glorious, but that the glorious God of the Bible touches our lives, and rescues us. And the encounter we're going to look at this morning in the book of John is a story of God's glory. In fact, um, I think kind of the big idea, the main point, that that sort of piece that we kind of want to frame this entire conversation in is this, that, that Jesus wants us to experience His glory, and that happens through our belief, through us believing and submitting our lives to Him. And as we kind of look at this, Jesus makes it pretty clear that, that that's what this is all about. He's about to raise a dude from the dead. It's going to be this incredible experience. And he's doing this not just to do something cool, but because he wants his followers to experience his glory and to believe in him. So let's just go ahead and let's jump right into this. Um, and there's one verse I want you to look at. So if you want to open your Bibles, it's going to be found in John chapter 11. And here's this, here's kind of the theme verse of this entire section that I want us to kind of focus in on. It says this in verse 25 and 26, it says, and Jesus said to her, he's talking to Mary, we're gonna get into the characters here, but he says to one of his disciples, one of his followers, Martha here, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall live. And everyone who believes in me shall not die do you believe this? Okay, this is gonna be kind of the theme of this entire narrative we're talking about. He said, dude, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, you will experience eternal life. Do you believe this? Reminds me of a couple um, years ago, two years ago, we were doing this road trip with our family and we were going over the Sonora Pass. Anybody ever been over that pass? It's beautiful, like these giant mountains just sort of like, cascade into these rivers and there was like animals we saw like a marmot running across the road at one point point. and I remember we keep like telling our girls who were in the back seat staring at screens right we're like dude did you see that that was incredible and they're like uh oh, no you know they just anybody had that experience with your kids they could not be bothered in fact they were watching camp kikiwaka a tv show about children enjoying the great outdoors And they could not be bothered to look up and experience the great outdoors. And as I was reading this passage, I think that's kind of what we are like with God. God is saying to us, I want you to experience the fullness of my glory, the fullness of my greatness. And you are going to experience that when you understand I am the resurrection and the life. Will you look up from what's right in front of you and will you see who I am? Will you see my greatness? Will you see who I am? So kind of the question we want to get at here is, okay, what does it look like for us to experience God's glory? What does it look like for us to to experience him? So we're in chapter 11, and this story kicks off that uh, a family that Jesus is super close with, the brother in this family gets sick, Lazarus. And Mary and Martha, these two sisters, they're worried about their brother. They trust Jesus. They know Jesus is a healer. And they're like, all right, let's get a message out to Jesus. And Jesus can come and he can heal our brother. So this messenger goes out and he finds Jesus and he tells Jesus, hey, this dude who you love so much is sick. And check out what happens here in verse 4. Listen to this. It says, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed for two more days. Okay, now some of us are familiar with this story, so you might not realize just how, I mean, it might just have read over how crazy this line is. But think about this again. It says, Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, so he waited two days, right? That's not how that line should logically go in my head. Like in my head, that line is Jesus loved them so much that he dropped everything and he left in that exact moment. And here's kind of the point I think that we need to get at is that sometimes God loves us so much that he makes us wait. It's probably a theme you've heard a couple of times in this series because John, who we're going through a series through the book of John, John, this is a major theme, the timing and the plan of God. And it says to me, what it's saying is there are times in my life where I want something so bad. I want something to be made right. I want it in my timing. I want things to be fixed. I want things to just work the way I want them to work. And there are times in my life where God says to me, I love you. So I need you to wait. I'm not going to give you the thing you want. How many of you right now are holding on to something you want deeply and God has not answered it for you yet? I'm seeing some head nods. This is hard, isn't it? I hate waiting. The other day I went to the grocery store and I forgot my phone in the car and I was stuck behind somebody with like 30 items and I had to wait for like four minutes with nothing to distract myself. Do you remember the 90s? They were horrible. Like I had no email to check, no texting to do. It was just like looking at magazine covers. They still have those there in the grocery stores. Crazy. But I hate, I hate waiting. But do you do we think that God loves us so much that sometimes He makes us wait? And in fact, Jesus makes Martha and Mary wait, not because he doesn't love them, not because he wants to punish them, not because he's just trying to teach them some sort of disciplines. He says it why he does it. He says, all of this is happening so that you will see the glory of God, so that you will see what I'm about to do, so that you will trust me, that you will believe in me, that you will know that I am in control. So he waits for two days. Now let's get our timeline straight here. So uh, Lazarus is sick. Probably They probably are waiting. They're probably hoping things get better and he keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And so finally they say, okay, let's send a messenger out. Let's go get Jesus. Probably that messenger leaves and probably pretty quickly Lazarus dies. Takes about a day for this messenger to go get Jesus, to find him. In two days, Jesus delays. Then finally Jesus decides he's gonna leave tells his disciples, okay, Lazarus is dead, let's go visit. And at this point in time, takes a day for them to get back. So it's been four days. At that same point in time, Martha and Mary are taking care of business. They've got people coming in to mourn with them. There's responsibilities that they would have to do as Lazarus's sister. I mean, that first day, probably within 24 hours, they would have tried to get him into a tomb. And so they would have had to wrap his body tightly in cloth. Can you imagine how how difficult that must have been the morning to your loved one they're physically wrapping him in burial cloth putting certain spices on him or herbs and all that and then they put him into this cave and they they seal a rock and and he's going to stay in that cave for about a year till all of his flesh decomposes and then they take at some point would take his bones out and all of this had to get done and all these people are in town mourning, and there would have been like this just sort of pause on life as they mourn the loss of this person. Can you imagine the pain that they must have been going through? The exhaustion? So four days later, Jesus comes walking into Bethany, and Martha is so overwhelmed, she rushes out to greet Jesus, and and here's what it says. So keep going. Um, We're going to be in verse 17 here. But even now, I know whatever you ask in God's name, God will give it to you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection in the last days. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God coming into the world. Four days, Jesus shows up. Martha's hurting. Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You ever ask those if questions of God? God, if you just would have kept me from taking that job. (laughs) God, if you would have just healed me of this illness I had, God, if you would have just made me born to a different set of parents that aren't jacked up like my parents were, God, if you would have just done this or done that, God, where are you at? Have you ever asked those questions? I have. I think it's really normal to ask those questions. But I love the model that we see here in Martha. I I see something I think is just so beautiful is that I see Martha Asking difficult questions and yet trusting in God in the same time. So think about this. I, I think that one of the lessons out of this passage is that we can ask and challenge and, be, and struggle with our faith and still have confidence and trust in who God is. That's what she says, right? She's like, God, if you had been here, Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would have been good. But I still know that whatever you ask in the Lord's name, in God's name, he will do it for you. Sometimes in my life, I feel like I don't know how to pray. You know, you ever had those prayers where you're just so frustrated and you're tired and you're angry and you're overwhelmed with the challenges of life and work and children and everything else that goes into life? And I think it's okay that sometimes we just pray out our prayers and sometimes we just have to end those prayers with saying, I don't know God, but I trust you. There's something beautiful and faithful about that. I don't know what to pray. I don't know how to fix this. I don't know how to make things right. I can't see. She couldn't see. She had no concept of how Jesus was going to make things better in that moment. She says, but I trust you. And then Jesus says that powerful line to her. He says, hey, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though they will die, they will live forever. And she's like, yeah, I get it. We're all going to rise again someday. I've got my worldview. I've got my religion. I got my belief system. And Jesus says, no, no, I'm not talking about some vague concept of life and resurrection. I'm talking about right now in this moment. And I think what he's actually challenging her is he's saying, do you believe this personally? Do you believe in me? I know you believe in the someday life, but do you believe in me now? Following Jesus for us as Christians is a now experience. It is not just some vague pie in the sky. Someday God's going to make everything okay. It is saying, Jesus, I don't get it. I don't understand, but I trust you now. I believe that you are the resurrection and the life. Someday you will raise me from the dead. But even now I trust you to give life to my dead parts of my life. You were once dead in your transgressions is what Paul writes later in the Bible. Saying there's parts of my life that are dead and I need Jesus to raise them from the dead right now. It's personal, it's real, it's vibrant. And I love what happens here. Jesus says, he says, do you believe this? It's a good question for us all to be asking, right? And a lot of us, uh, we have trusted Jesus at some point in our life. We have a conversion story, but I think it's a really good question to say right now. Where you sit right now, do we believe that Jesus is the source of life? for us, that he is our hope of salvation, that he is what makes the chaos and the brokenness and the challenge and the death and struggle of our world make sense. Do we believe that? Is that where our faith and our confidence is? Now, Martha, she responds with one of the most profound, faithful statements recorded in Scripture. There's only two people in Scripture, only two of Jesus' followers that that say what she says here. It's her and Peter. Peter. Right When Jesus asks Peter, he says, hey, who do people say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus says to Peter, he's like, that's it. On that truth, on that point, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell cannot overcome it. And she says almost the exact same thing here. She says, yeah, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it's this beautiful thing that sometimes I think, She doesn't even fully get it yet. We're gonna see as the story goes on that she doesn't even understand what that means fully, but she's able to confess it with her mouth. And there's sometimes we sing songs up here and I think we don't even fully comprehend what we're saying. We believe them to be true, we say them with our mouth, but God is still teaching us what that means. And that's okay. We're growing and we're learning and we're developing in this faith, but what a, a powerful confession she makes. So the narrative keeps going and um, Martha uh, or then Mary comes out and, and hangs out with Jesus a little bit. And it's interesting. Jesus, she asks almost the exact same questions of Jesus. Hey, if you'd been here, my brother would still be alive. And, and he goes, okay, let's, let's go to the tomb together. Let's see what's going on. So in verse 33, it says, When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come also with her weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said to them, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how much he loved him. There's a lot here. there's there's a lot. I think for many of us, this is a passage that is really comforting to us. To think that God, creator of the universe, Jesus who in, in a couple of verses here, in a couple of seconds, is going to actually raise Lazarus from the dead. He sees the pain and the struggle and the brokenness caused by death, and it says, he weeps. In fact, it says even more than that. He says, he was greatly troubled and moved in his spirit. Now, we can go on and we can parse all the, the Greek words here and, and kind of spend a lot of time, but I don't think we need to. Because I think even though I've probably never used the term greatly moved or moved in the spirit, greatly troubled, I kind of know what that feels like. Have you ever had that pain well up inside of you that just you feel it in your gut? Like just this frustration and pain and anger and hurt, and it just sort of wells itself up in emotion. Have you felt that before? I think that's what Jesus is experiencing here. And why? Why is Jesus upset? I mean, clearly he's not upset because just he doesn't know what the future's gonna hold. He knows what the future's gonna hold. And yet, I think he's upset because he sees the brokenness and the pain caused by sin in death. There's something so final of death. It really is so ugly. And it causes him pain. So check this out. What, what does that speak to me? There are things in this world that cause me pain. That I see the effects of sin and the brokenness of our world, and it's emotional. And I actually think that's a good thing. I think that's part of me being made in the image of God, a God who is a God of justice and righteousness. He has developed that within me, and it's flawed, and it's broken, and it's skewed, and I don't always see the justice of God, right? But there's part of me that longs for something better in this world, that realizes that we need resurrection, that this is, there's got to be something more to life than just what's right in front of us that we need to look up from the screens and see the glory of God all around us. So let's keep reading this story because it's, it's powerful. So in verse 38, it says, Then Jesus deeply moved again. He came to the tomb. It was a cave, and the stone laid against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time, there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but on account of these people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And he said these things, and he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his feet and hands bound in linen strips and his face wrapped in cloth. And Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. It's cool, isn't it? Now you might have noticed that the name of this sermon was called Lazarus. Jesus' encounter with Lazarus, but it's not really about Lazarus, is it? I think it's actually about all the disciples there and especially about Martha and Mary. Even in his final prayer, he goes, God, I'm so glad you heard me, but I know you'd hear me, but I'm not praying for myself. I'm praying for all these people. It's like a pastor's prayer. You know how we do that, right? We get done and we're like, God, if they don't forget anything, help them remember my last three points, point one, you know, it was, he wanted, he clearly, he wants these two sisters and the people there to understand and to recognize and trust in him. This is incredible. And I think part of it is just this understanding that that it is through our belief, through our trust in God that we get to experience his glory. We get to experience his resurrection in our own life. We get to have confidence in the plan that he is doing. Now I'm trying, this week I've been trying to process through application of this, right? There, There is something to believe, And it is important that we, as followers of Jesus, we believe that he is the source of life, that he is the hope of salvation, that he is the only source of our resurrection, that without Jesus, there is no hope in life beyond this life. But I was also trying to think, well, how does this applicable? How does this affect my daily activity? How does this affect how I go about my day? And I was thinking about this, that Mary and Martha are probably weeks away, if not even sooner, from watching Jesus actually die on the cross and rise from the dead. So why did Jesus have to give them an example of death and resurrection right before he's about to do it himself? And I think it's this, I think they're about to go through a really hard time. They're about to see their Savior, their fo- the person, their follower, their Messiah, put on a cross. It could have rocked them, and it does. It truly rocks the disciples. They're struggling with all sorts of doubt and struggle and pain. And yet, just weeks before, they experienced the glory of God as Jesus raised somebody from the dead. And so even though that experience rattles them, even though it shakes them to their core, even though it challenges them, they walk faithfully through that experience And Martha and Mary and the disciples immediately after the resurrection said they were all together in a room praying with each other. So what does that mean for you and I? Going back to the idea of waiting. We're waiting. There's hard things in our life. I know a lot of us, even this week, we were rattled by the news out of the tech industry of all the different layoffs. And maybe some of you have even experienced some of that directly, or you're feeling the anxiety of that, or you're dealing with the pain of sickness or loss or all these things happening in our life. Hear this, we have a God that raises people from the dead. We have a God who has promised to come back from us, for us and take us to eternity with him. There is hope in that. There's perspective in that. And I think that, again, it gives us the strength. It gives us the courage. It gives us the joy to experience even hardship in this life and to walk through them and say, no, I know that my God is the resurrection and the life, and I trust in him. And here's another really powerful thing about this. If you're going through the life group curriculum questions this week, one of the connections that the last question made was really connecting this to that concept that we see later in scripture that says that in our sin, we were once dead, that there are dead parts in our life and that Christ wants to raise those broken parts of our life and give our life new meaning and purpose. So check this out. I want want us to think about this. What are those areas of our life that we consider dead, right? Maybe those places of sin that we've just held on to for years. I've shared frequently that one of my struggles is the anger and yelling that I that I unleash on my daughters sometimes right and it can be easy for me to go well I've struggled with my rage and my anger for 40 years nothing can change that's dead that part's it's too far gone do i believe that the same god who could call Lazarus out of a grave 4 days after he had been dead Four days after his body had decomposed, four days after people had been weeping and saying their goodbyes, that God could raise him from the dead. Do I believe that God could raise this bit of anger and wrath in my life? Do I believe that God could take away my anxiety and my shame? Do I believe that God could take away um, the pain and the struggle that I'm, I'm holding deep inside of me? I think this is really applicable. I think it comes down to belief and trust. And here's the beauty of this. Here's kind of the final point. Is this is about the glory of God. This is not just about making our life a little bit better this is about us seeing the very plan and beauty of what god is doing and i think when we when we experience that when we experience god raising us from the dead when we experience him renewing us calling him back to us as as rob shared that after 20 years he's calling us back into relationship when we experience what it looks like to have reconciliation with friendships and relationships that were so far gone that we thought were dead it could never come back to life when we experience that what we experience The glory of God. And we want to be a church that experiences His glory. So let me just uh, pray for us here. And as we're praying, maybe uh, just the prayer that you might have is just a prayer back to God saying, God, thank you. Or maybe it's a prayer saying, God, I need you. I don't fully understand. Whatever that is, Let's just take a moment and pray that back to God silently, and then I'll I'll close this up here in a minute. God, you are the God of miracles. We need your supernatural love. So God, I pray that we trust you, that we believe in you, and that this week we experience your glory as you you work in our life and you raise those dead places to life and you remind us of the hope we have that you are our eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.